All right, so happy Palm Sunday again. That's what we're singing about with Hosanna in the highest. Jesus came in this Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Around 2,000 years ago, he entered into Jerusalem, and just five days later, he would be crucified um, as a criminal, heralded as a king, then crucified as a criminal, and then three days later, he would walk out of the grave. And that's what we'll be celebrating next week uh, when we celebrate Easter uh, at either 8.30 or 10.30, whichever one of those two things you come to. But with that coming, I, I want to talk just real quick, before we even get into the text, just kind of about Easter real quick. Easter is all about celebrating the resurrection, obviously. And it's about preaching the gospel to people who do not believe the gospel. Right? It's, that's what it's about. And so that means that next week, both you and I have a job. All right, so, so my job then is not to come up here and try to come up with something new, something clever, something creative to just, you know, sensationalize uh, something about the resurrection. My job is to just get up here and straight preach the gospel as clearly as I can, as passionately as I can, saying really nothing new and calling people to faith and repentance. That's my job next week, all right? Your job then is to bring people here who have not heard the gospel. And listen to me, I promise you, I will set you up very well for a, so what did you think about that type follow-up conversation? And that's what you're to do. So we have a job next week. Next week is all about evangelism. It's all about celebrating Christ. But it is the time when people, if you will ask them, will come with you and I will preach the gospel and give you that opportunity to have a follow-up conversation with them. So that means you've got to bring people with you. And so this week, your job is to invite people. Invite them and just keep inviting and br- so that you can bring people with you. Like, don't stop inviting people until you get one or two people who commit, hey, I'll be there. And we're not having Sunday school next week, so you can tell, hey, I'll meet you at 8.30, I'll meet you at 10.30, I'll come pick you up. But bring people. That's what is going to happen next week. I'm going to preach the gospel. And so people you love, people you want to know the gospel, bring them with you. And then you can have a follow-up conversation with them and see what the Lord might do with that as we celebrate Christ's resurrection next week. And so that's um, your job for this week. That's my job for next week. But my job for today is just to take us through our next section as we continue studying through the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to be, 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have one, there should be a black hardback one around you. We'll be on page 992 in those Bibles that are in the chair backs around you. And so turn there. And while you're getting there, one of the things that I get to do um, is I eat at restaurants all the time. All right. That's just like part of ministry. They didn't have a class in this in seminary called Restaurants 101, but I do this all the time. And the reason is because this is where one-on-one discipleship uh, happens a lot. And so I'll meet with people and um, either evangelize you know, them, share the gospel with them, or just disciple and we'll read scripture. We'll just talk about what's going on in someone's, in their life. Uh, or we'll read like good Christian books together and discuss those and just push one another on in trying to be more Christ-like. 
But for anybody who's been to a restaurant, and we, we all have, you know the difference that a, you know, like getting a good waiter or waitress can, can make. Like if you get a bad one, all right, now listen, you still be kind, you still tip well, you still act like you know Jesus. They have a soul, they're made in the image of God, so you love them. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know that they might be working three jobs trying to support their family. You don't know what's going on. So you love and you be kind regardless. But still, when you get that bad waiter or waitress, it can kind of just kind of sour the, the whole experience. But when you get a good one, one that loves their job, one that's eager to serve, and they, they notice what you need before you even notice that you need it, and they bring it to you, but they're not like on top of you all the time, bothering you. When you get a good one like that, it makes all the difference in the world when you get a good waiter or waitress. And it's the same thing in the church, because we also have table waiters. They're called deacons. That's what the word deacon literally means. It means table waiter. And, and these servants of the church and the demeanor in which they serve makes all the difference in the world in the church. Because in a lot of ways, the unity, the care, and the fruitfulness of ministry is dependent upon these servants. And it's these servants that we're going to talk about this morning. And so what I want to do is just try to answer three super, super simple questions. Um, but they're going to make us mine into some things that may take a little bit of time. So I wrote the questions out in your sermon guide. We're just going to talk about what exactly is a deacon. Because a deacon is not like a group of white-headed men who sit in a corner you know, office and either rule the church and tell the pastor who's their employee what you might do, or sit back and say, yes, king, what do you want us to do? That's not what a deacon is, all right? We're going to talk about what a deacon is. So number one, what is a deacon? Number two, who can be a deacon? And number three, what do deacons do? And so a simple outline it may take us a little time to get through it, though. So first one, what is a deacon? In one sense, lowercase d deacons, all Christians are deacons. Because we are all servants of Christ, which is what the word means. All right? In the Greek, the word for deacon is diakonos, and that means table waiter. It means servant. And it's a word that's used in places like John 12, 26. So listen to this. John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, diakonos, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant, Diakonos, be also. If anyone serves me, Diakonos, the Father will honor him. And so if we were to transliterate the word there, Diakonos, not translate it to servant, but transliterate it to Diakonos, deacon, transliterate it to deacon, here's the way that would read. If anyone deacons me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my deacon be also. If anyone deacons me, the Father will honor him. All right? Similarly, in Matthew 20, 26, doing the same thing, it would read like this. Well, it should not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so even Jesus presents himself 
as a type of deacon, as he came not to be served, but to serve. And so a deacon is a servant, a servant of Christ, a servant of the church. And so in that sense, all right, lowercase d, all Christians are deacons, we're servants. And so the question we have to ask then is, then where are you serving? As a church, we gather, we grow, we serve, and we go, and that serve is we serve the church and the community. So all of us, lowercase d, deacons, where are we serving? Where are you serving the church? And where are you serving the community? This is what we do. We are deacons. And so there are opportunities everywhere. They're in your bulletin. They're at the Welcome Center. Serve. Serve. And so we're all to be lowercase d, deacons. But a formal deacon of the church, capital D, that we're talking about specifically this morning is a person who's been recognized, charged, and called, right, and then given a responsibility to specific aspects of service in the church. And they also serve as shock absorbers in the church. Absorbing complaints and concerns and resolving them in godliness. Preserving the unity of the church. And so the position of deacon is a high calling. It's one of only two offices in the church. One office, the office of elders. Another office, the office of deacons. And the elders, even as we looked at last week, they... Lead the church, shepherd the church, teach the church, and they have authority in the church. And deacons serve the church and work to preserve unity. And so what are deacons? Deacons are servants. Deacons are shock absorbers, all right? That's number one. Number two, who can be a deacon? And this is where we pick it up in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Qualifications of deacons. And so look at it with me, starting there in verse 8. Deacons likewise, and so note that word, Paul is using that word to kind of call out a new group, all right? He's been talking about elders, and now he's saying, hey, new group, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And so the first qualification here of who can be a deacon is all about living a life of dignity. All right? And so who can be a deacon? Letter A, someone who lives a dignified life. That's who. Someone who lives a dignified life. Someone who's pursuing holiness. Someone who's not two-faced. They're not double-tongued. They're not insincere. And they're not addicted to anything but Jesus. And specifically here, the call is not to be addicted to much wine. But the application about addiction is really much wider than that. It's not to be addicted to anything but Jesus. So, not addicted to alcohol, not addicted to tobacco, not addicted to caffeine, not addicted to food, not addicted to your phone, not addicted to your job, not addicted to your sport, not addicted to your grades, not addicted to your hobby, not addicted to your football team, not addicted to your looks, on and on and on we could go. Don't be addicted to anything or any substance except Christ and His cross. Get your high off of that. Be addicted to Him. And so a dignified life is really all about holiness. So deacons are to be godly. Not perfect. But godly. They should be excellent repenters. And do it constantly. 
wrapped up in a lifelong pursuit of holiness, stumbling forward, desperately reliant on the grace of Christ and His forgiveness and His washing of them and Holy Spirit transforming them to be more like Him. And so the first qualification of who can be a deacon is all about how you live your life. It needs to be a life of dignity. Second qualification is all about how you hold the mystery of the faith. And so it's all about sound doctrine. Okay, it's all about sound doctrine. So letter B, who can be a deacon? Only those with sound doctrine. Look at verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. It takes a little bit of watching. So it's not to be some like brand new Christian. Let's watch you for a little while and see if how you live your life. Do you know doctrine and do you live it? That's the whole point here. Like you, you have to hold the mystery of the faith. You've got to know sound doctrine, but you've got to do so with a clear conscience. That is, you have to live it as well. It's not enough to just talk it. You have to walk it. It's this coming together of both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Right belief and right practice. They go together. And so deacons have to have a dignified life. They have to have sound doctrine. And letter C, they also have to have a stable family life. So skip down to verse 12. We'll come back to verse 11 in a minute. But skip down to verse 12 for just a minute. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so here's the deal. The home is the proving ground for the work of serving. It's the proving ground of it. If you're not serving your family well, how could we expect you to serve the family of God well? Now, I want to make sure and be crystal clear on something. Good service to your family is not proven by the absence of difficulties in your life. It is not proven by the absence of difficulties in your life, but rather how you navigate and handle the difficulties of your life that are going to come, because they are going to come. So it's not about absence. It's about how you handle those things. And so deacons are to love their families well. They're to navigate those difficult days well. They're to serve their families well. They're to pour themselves out for their families. And then very specifically, male deacons are to love their wives well. Notice verse 12. It says, Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. What does that mean? Some people will take this and they will say, well, what Paul is talking about here is he's just saying if you're a polygamist, you can't be a deacon. That's what he means here. But if that's the case, that makes no sense because the Jewish people had already woken up by this time to the fact that polygamy was a sin and they had abandoned it. And so if if polygamy, something that's, already been like already is not being practiced and is known like we don't if that's what paul meant that that's just weird that he that he would call it out like that it would be like saying today um okay our standards for deacon at providence baptist church uh first of all is you're not to be a cannibal now 
No, no Hannibal Lecter's need to apply, right? Now, I'm not planning on putting forth a cannibal for deacon, but like, I shouldn't even have to state that. This is kind of that's what this is. I don't think Paul is talking about polygamy. This is that's assumed. And so then other people will be like, all right, well, that means he he has to be married because it says husband of one wife, and so this means that single men cannot be deacons. I don't think that's the case either because Paul was single. And he talks about how being single is like a really, really good thing because you can serve Christ in a lot of deeper ways. And then also Jesus is single. So pretty much if there's something that, 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 you're, that Jesus can't meet and you're called, I, I don't think that's the qualification. So I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. And then other people will also be like, well, this means that as a husband of one wife, he can never have ever, 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 ever been divorced. And if he has ever been divorced at any point in his life, then he's automatically disqualified. But I'm not really sure that that's it either. Uh, because the, 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 the default positions of all of these character qualities here seem to be presently. Like, are you these things right now? Like, I don't think that these qualifications are saying, hey, if you ever didn't live a dignified life, you're automatically out. I don't think it's saying, hey, if you were ever addicted to wine, you're automatically out. I don't think it's saying, hey, if you were ever greedy at any point in your life, you're automatically out. If that were the case, we would have no deacons and we would have no elders in this church. It's all presently. Are you presently living a dignified life? Are you presently not addicted to wine? Are you presently not greedy? Are you presently a one-woman man? Fully devoted to one woman. Not fantasizing about others, not lusting after others, not engaged in sexual immorality, whether that's adultery if you're married or fornication if you're not married, but devoted to one woman. And for singles, even though you may not know who she is, you're devoted to that one that God might have for you. And so who can be a deacon? Those who have a dignified life. Those who have sound doctrine. Those who have a stable family. And somebody says, hey, Joe, two weeks ago you talked about women deacons. Let's go. Verse 11. And I need you to put your thinking cap on. We're going to have to mine into uh, some sentence structure and some Greek syntax a little bit here. And so let's begin just by looking at verse 11. All right. Actually, let's go back to verse 8 and read through 11. Deacons, likewise, again, that word seems to be calling out. There's a new category that he's about to talk about. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified. Not slanderers, but sober-minded. Faithful in all things. And so where this gets tricky is right there at the beginning of verse 11. Where it says, in the ESV, it says, wives. The word there is gynecos. That's where we get gynecology. All right? And the word can mean women or wives. 
And there's no, like, I mean, it's completely contextually based. Which way do you translate it? Completely contextually based. It can mean women or it can be wives, and it's only context that dictates which one it is. And commentators are not in agreement on whether verse 11 is talking about deacons' wives or it's talking about a new category, deaconesses. Commentators are not in agreement. And this can even be seen in the translations, that, the English translations that we have. So the, the King James, the New King James, the ESV that we use here, and the CSB, they all translate it wives. All right? And then to smooth out the reading, they supply the word their, their wives. That possessive definite article is not in the Greek. It is supplied. It's not there. It literally just would read, if it's wives, wives likewise. Not their wives likewise, just wives likewise. That is a supplied definite article to try to smooth it out. All right. So KJV, NKJV, ESV, CSV, they all translate it wives. On the other hand, the NIV, RSV, ASV, NRSV, NASB, New American Standard Bible, all translated women. And in your ESV, you'll see a footnote. Footnotes are important. You'll see a footnote. In my Bible, it's footnote number five, and it shows you an alternate translation. And so they translate it women, some translate it wives. So here's what I want to try to do. I want to throw out the arguments for both of those. And then kind of tell you where I land on this. <clears throat> and so in favor of this being translated women, and therefore being an argument for deaconesses, the first thing, first argument, number one, you know, the first argument would be, look at, verse, uh, look at chapter 2, verse 9. Same construction here. Same construction. Chapter 2, verse 9. Likewise, also that women. Gynecos. Likewise. And here, it's women. And then in chapter 3, verse 11, it's wives. Why? Why translate it one way here and then another way there? Seems like it should both be wives or both be women. Why would you do it one way here and one way in another place? I don't see a compelling contextual reason for it to be translated differently. Seems like it should be consistent. Wives and wives or women and women. Secondly, and this has to do with the word likewise. Verse 8, Paul uses the word likewise to kind of call out, hey, I'm talking about a new group here. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about elders anymore. I'm talking about a new group. Deacons likewise. And then you get down to verse 11. And you have likewise again, leading you to expect a new category. You use a new category to call out deacons. Now verse 11 is leaving a new category to call out deaconesses. Beyond all that, probably, in my opinion, the biggest argument for it being translated women and not wives is that it would be very, very, very odd that there would be listed out qualifications for a deacon's wife, but there are none listed for an elder's wife. Not one. That seems really weird if that's what it is. There are no qualifications listed for an elder's wife in verses three, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 
So it seems really weird that they would call out qualifications for a deacon's wife, but there would be no qualifications for an elder's wife. That doesn't seem to make any sense. I could be wrong on that, but it doesn't seem to make any sense. And so I think that's a strong argument for this being wives, or for this being not wives, but rather being translated women. And thus qualifications for deaconesses. And then fourthly, fourth argument is we know from Phoebe, Romans chapter 16, that there were women deacon and deaconesses at this time. Like, we know that. So, that's in favor of it being translated women. In favor of it being translated deacons' wives, verse 11 is sandwiched between two references to deacons. So that's a little bit weird, a little bit odd, if indeed it's talking about a new category. They would just kind of insert it real quick and then go back to talking about deacons. All right. Also, the very next verse, verse 12, is 100% for sure translated wives. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. There's no doubt about that one. And so that would lend one to think, well, verse 11 will be translated the same way. And then number three, if he is talking about deaconesses or, or, or female deacons, why does he call them out like that as he does when he talks about Phoebe? And so with all of that said, based upon 1 Timothy 3 alone, I don't think you can make a convincing or declarative argument one way or the other. I don't think you can from this text. There's so many little nuances there. But when we look at the rest of the New Testament, I think as Philip Ryken puts it, if the office of deaconess is not established in 1 Timothy 3... It is certainly present elsewhere in the Bible. And so you've got Dorcas in Acts chapter 6, who had good works and acts of charity. You have Lydia, the seller of purple and a wealthy benefactor of the church at Philippi. You've got Trophina and Trophosa, women described as workers of the Lord in Romans 16. There's nine ladies called out in, in Romans 16. And then again, especially Romans 16, Phoebe, who is called a patron of many, and then she has an official title there. Deacon of the church at Centria. And so that's biblical things. And then to a lesser degree, because I'm about to step outside the Bible, so lesser degree, not saying authority, but just historically. History speaks to this in the early church as well, because we have scores of references to deaconesses in the early church from the pens of church fathers and even from Roman officials. So I'll give you one. There's a guy named Pliny the Younger. He was a ruler in the general uh, Palestine area. Hang on. <coughs> Sorry. And when he first came to the area and encountered Christians for the very first time, he wrote a letter to the emperor, who was Trajan at the time, asking them, hey, what do I do with these Christian people? They're weird. What do I do? Do I, do I slaughter them all? Like, what, what, what should I do? And so he writes this letter to Emperor Trajan in 112 AD, and part of the letter says this. And also it teaches us a little bit how they worshipped uh, early. They asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God, and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery. Not falsify their trust, 
nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. Even this they affirmed that they had stopped doing after my edict, by which, in accordance with your instructions, I had forbidden political associations. Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstitions. That's what Pliny wrote to Trajan. And so to summarize, I'd say many women in the New Testament carried out diaconal ministry. That's non-debatable. Lowercase d, obviously, because we all do that, right? And there was one, at least, Phoebe, who was called a deacon. And then there are tons in the early church who are identified in like manner. And so while we obviously never want to affirm what the Lord forbids... We need to be equally concerned about forbidding what the Lord affirms. And so that's why I think women should serve as deacons in churches where deacons are defined biblically. Because with all that said, 1 Timothy 2 clearly says that elders are men only. Clearly says that. And so if a church confuses the role of elders and deacons like most Baptist churches do today then I don't know that it would be wise for a woman to be a deacon in a church that confuses the roles of deacons and elders. But where the distinction between elders and deacons is clear, then I think our sisters who were, verse 11, dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, can and should serve as a deacon. I mean, in my opinion, the biggest deacon in our church is Debbie Noland. And so I think we've chased that rabbit enough. So let's get back to the main point. What are deacons? They are servants, and they are shock absorbers. Who can be a deacon? Church members who live a dignified life, have sound doctrine, and a stable family. And then finally, number three in your notes, what do deacons do? What do deacons do? And to answer this, flip over to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is on page 914 in the black hardback Bibles around you. This is where we actually kind of find the beginning of deacons, capital D. This is where they begin. This is where it all starts. So Acts chapter 6, page 914 in the black hardback Bibles around you. Read with me. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distributions. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, that is the church, and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. So there's a few more qualifications for a deacon. Whom we will appoint to this duty. So the apostles, elders, appointed them, but they were nominated by the congregation. That's what we try to do here as well. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, that was the effect that the deacons had. The word of God continued to increase, and many people came to Christ. All right, and so the, the three aspects of a deacon's ministry that we can see here. And the first one is that they care for the practical or physical needs of the church. All right, they care for the practical or physical needs of the church. This is what deacons do. Because what was going on here is that some of the widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food the church took up to give out to widows. And so some of them are being overlooked. And so the, the apostles, you know, know that they need to remain committed to prayer and to the ministry of the word, but also these very real and practical needs needed to be met. And so they instructed the church to choose seven men to wait tables, to deacon these ladies. And in so doing, they made provision for both the ministry of the word to continue and the ministry of the widows to continue. And so, first of all, deacons handle the physical and practical needs of the church. Secondly, what do deacons do? They work for the unity of the body. They work for the unity of the body. And this is really the motivation behind making sure that there was good distribution of food. And because verse 1 talks about there's a rift in the body. There's a division. There's a complaint. You've got one group of people complaining about another group of people. And so as one author said, this arrested the attention of the apostles. They were not merely resolving a benevolence ministry problem in the church. They wanted to stop the church's unity from fracturing and in a particularly dangerous way along traditional ethnic lines of division. And so the deacons were appointed to head off disunity in the church. And so again, deacons serve as shock absorbers. They absorb complaints, they absorb concerns, they resolve them in godliness, and in so doing, they preserve the unity of the church. And so the people that we nominate and that we elect to be deacons can't be people who aren't happy with the church. They can't be people who aren't committed to the church. They can't be people who complain the loudest or shake the church with their actions or attitudes. Instead, they're to be mufflers and shock absorbers. They take one for the church. They preserve the unity of the church. And so deacons handle the physical needs. They work to preserve unity. And then finally, they work to, number three, support the ministry of the word. Support the ministry of the word. Because the apostles acknowledge that the whole church is to care for the physical needs. All right? That's a responsibility of everybody, including the elders, including the apostles. It's their responsibility too. But for everything to be done as well as it could, they turned this responsibility over specifically to another group within the church and so that they could focus on ministry of the word and prayer. And so by handling those practical needs that the apostles then and today the elders can't do, the deacons support and encourage the teachers of the word. And so the way this fleshes out here at Providence is that our deacons are not a deliberative body but rather they are people who coordinate particular needed ministries in the church. And so we have a deacon of landscaping. 
We have a deacon of benevolence. We have a deacon of safety. We have a deacon of the parking lot. We have a deacon of greeting. When we used to meet in a school, that you can see right down there, we had a deacon of hauling the trailer. Right? Now, we don't haul a trailer anymore, so that position does not exist anymore. And some of the ones that I just named, if we don't need those anymore, we'll retire those positions and either reassign someone or retire them from the, 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 the diaconate. It is a needs-based ministry. But it's not that these guys who have that responsibility are to do that by themselves. They're just to see that it happens. They're to coordinate everyone in the church to do that. It's not that they hand it, oh, he's the deacon of landscaping. Well, good luck. You've got a lot of work to do. No. We all jump in and help, and he just leads that. And that frees the elders up to be able to focus on the word and on prayer. And so that's what deacons do, all right? That's what deacons do. They care for the physical needs of the church. They work for the unity of the church. They support the ministry of the word. But before we end this morning, I want to go back and notice one more thing about the qualifications, and then we'll go. One more thing about the qualifications. So look at verse 8 with me again. Let's read it one more time, 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be toasted first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as a deacon gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so the thing that I want you to notice out of the, all of these qualifications here is that there is nothing listed that is extraordinary. There's nothing listed here that's extraordinary. In fact, it's very, very ordinary for what a Christian should look like. This is just the result of progressive sanctification. And so deacons are not called to, you know, have any, like, crazy things here. They're not called to be able to wrestle alligators or shut the mouths of lions or summit Everest or have a pilgrimage to holy cities or relics or have visions that they need to conjure up or torture that they have to endure. No, no, no. It's just pretty basic. Be a Christian. Live like a Christian. Follow Christ. Obey Christ. This is what every Christian should look like. And so if we see it then as a picture of what a mature believer looks like, these qualifications are what we should all look like. Like all Christians are to live a life of dignity. Not being double-tongued. Not being addicted to wine. Or any other drug, habit, lust, or craving. Not being greedy for dishonest gain. And all Christians are to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They need to know and have sound doctrine. And they need to live it out. All of us are to be, who, are, who are married are to be faithful to our spouse. It's not just true of deacons. It's true of everybody. And we're all called to love our families well. Training our children. Teaching them obedience. And doing so under the overarching like first word. Deacons likewise must be dignified. We're to do that with dignity. Like you can bully a kid into submission and that's wicked. 
We're to love our kids, to be patient with them and teach them the way to go. And so, folks, it's not just deacons, and even if we roll up into verses 1 through 7, it's not just elders who should live faithfully before a watching world. This is a call on every single one of us. And so, how are we doing with that? Like, if we treated these qualifications of deacons here as our report card, what would be your grade in each subject? It's something to think through. It's something to process through this week. Do I get an A, a B, a C, a D, or F in having a dignified life? Do I get an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F in being double-tongued? Do I get an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F in being addicted to alcohol or anything else? Do I get an A? I mean, on and on we could go. So this is a call for all of us. But while this is the call for all of us, if you get an F, like I get an F on some of these probably, the grace of Jesus abounds. And Christ's love for you is not based on whether you like are attaining some certain level of performance in your Christianity. Does he want you to do that? Yes. Is his love for you based on that? No. What's his love based on? His love's based on Christ, who's your substitute. And so since the Father cannot love Jesus more than He does right now, and since you are in Christ, then it is impossible for God to love you more when you're obeying just amazingly, or when you're not. His love can't vacillate based upon your behavior because His love for you is not based upon your behavior, but based upon the behavior of Christ, who's constant. And so rejoice in Christ this morning. If you're obeying, praise the Lord for the grace He's shown you to give you the Holy Spirit to help you obey. And if you're struggling, rejoice in the Lord this morning because there's forgiveness for all. It never stops. There's always more. Like, a, like Niagara Falls, there's more grace. There's more water coming. There's more to follow. It never stops. And so wherever you're at in that, yes, intend, seek, work hard, pursue a holy life. That is what we are to do. But even if you're not there, rejoice. Let Jesus pick you up, identify it. You see it. I failed you again. I'm sorry. Repent, turn, and now pursue. And if you fall tomorrow, repent, turn, and now pursue. And if you fall the next day, repent, turn, and now pursue. And give grace to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just because someone's not as far along in their sanctification as you think they should be doesn't mean it's not happening in their lives. Let's be patient with one another. Love one another well. And let's push one another on to faith and good works. Let's follow Christ. He's our Savior. He's our King. And He's our Deacon. So let's be deacons like him, lowercase and uppercase. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't give up on us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You never abandon us. You never quit on us. You never cast us aside. Yes, 
You're disappointed in us at times. But you don't stop loving us. You don't stop caring for us. Your grace still amazes me. That you would call a rebel home. Kicking and screaming and that you would love us. And you would work in us. You would not let us go. You would change us. And so we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your spirit that goes to work in our hearts. And Father, I pray this morning as we grade ourselves on this report card that your spirit would work. That if we're doing well, we would not blow up in pride. Look at me. Oh yeah, I got it. And Father, if that's where our heart first goes, that we would recognize the dangerous place that we're at and repent and ask for your help. And Father, if we're not even trying to pursue these things, we don't have any desire that we would wake up to the dangerous position we're in. And if we have no desire whatsoever, no will, no wanting to walk with you, then maybe we don't even know you. Father, I pray for our church that as we um, seek to identify deacons and raise them up in our church, that, we, that you would bless those efforts and that we, you would bless those individuals and that they would serve us well. And Father, that we would give grace to one another as a church body. That we would love one another well. All of us being lowercase d deacons. Serving and loving. All of us being lowercase d deacons. Shock absorbing. All of us. Following you. So we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.